Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day everybody. Time is running out to join the fourth Amazon Collective Mastermind that's being held in March on the 22nd, 23rd and 24th of 2024 this year. This time in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, uh, it's being sponsored by multi-currency solutions provider WellFirst and Australian e-commerce accountants and Trepid Advisory, who I use and love. Uh, to join us, fee suitor and international VIP guests, including Paul Harvey, head over to the australianseller.com forward slash collective to learn more and apply. Now, this week, I chat with Chris Knobloch, who is an Australian professional photographer based up in Queensland. Chris and his wife, Sonia's extensive knowledge of photography helped them to develop their product line in the baby category on Amazon in the US. And in just a couple of years, they've gone from 60000 bucks in their first year of revenue to $320,000 last year in 2023. And they're looking at around 800000 this year in 2024 with just one product and a handful of variations. Uh, their margins are absolutely sensational and they enjoy very healthy profits in spite of all the new fees that Amazon's imposed on our sellers. We talk about the methods that they've employed to keep their fees as low as possible. And we discuss variation strategies and their plans for marketplace expansion and growth for this year in 2024. Uh, oh, sorry, another announcement. Megla and Marg and Kev are holding the India sourcing trip uh, this time in February. The dates are between February the 4th and the 11th of 2024 in Delhi. Uh, and if you use this code, CHRIS, you'll get $150 off the normal ticket price. So just head over to indiasourcingtrip.com to learn more about that. Now, of course, don't forget to join my Facebook group. Head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook. Still offering private coaching and loving it. So head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Chris to book an hour session with me. Uh, and if you own or work or you're a private label seller and you need someone to look after your Amazon business or indeed even get you set up and started, uh, I've got an agency. It's called amosphere.com.au. Uh, we're an official service provider for Amazon. So yeah, head on over. Uh, that's it. Let's get on with today's episode with Chris Knobloch. to the Australian Seller Podcast and today I'm delighted to welcome to this show Chris Knobluck. So Chris, how are you mate? I'm great, thank you. How are you going? We met a couple of weeks ago. We, we were talking about a potential Amazon Collective for you. So you had a really good story yeah. to tell and um, I wanted to get you on the show and that's happening now so I'm really excited. So thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um. Give us a bit of your background, mate. So you and your wife have been selling Amazon for a while. What were you doing before you started selling Amazon? Yeah, we've been selling for a couple of years. We were, oh, gee, like 20-year professional photographers. That's been our full-time gig for the last two decades. Yep. Um, mixture of things, all people-based. So like originally it was weddings and then weddings and uh, babies, mm-hmm. byproduct of weddings. Um, and and lots of them so like back in the day like our studio we're a second generation studio so we took it over from my father Mm -hmm. way way back but um like we used to shoot about 300 plus weddings a year so like quite a few um and then yeah like toward the end there we've scaled down to just the two of us shooting but Mm um yeah finally we like after covid knocked weddings on the head which is yeah which is great actually that is good. Uh, good to move on to new things. Now it's all corporate. So anyone that needs to advertise themselves, we photograph. So 
Yeah, I've seen some yeah. of those photos on your website. Give your give your little business up there a plug. Oh, okay. So Brisbane based corporate photography studio. So we like I was saying, we specialise in anything people based. So we don't shoot houses or um, anything that like down that sort of alley. But um, anyone that has to advertise themselves. So like lawyers, mm-hmm. dentists, a lot of real estate agents. So we're photographing, I think, seven real estate agents this afternoon. Wow. Um, all for their shots to to push their their material but um yeah. But yeah we've been doing that for a good while now yeah awesome uh, and that makes product photography a lot easier for you too doesn't it it does yeah so we shoot our own products at the moment we're not photographing anything for other um like for third parties but um yeah we, we still we like to stick to other people so we're we're good as far as photography goes like it's just something we've done forever we know it uh, mm. when it gets to the product side of things like we, we know how fussy we are when we shoot stuff for ourselves and yep. uh, I would hate to do that for anyone else, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it totally makes sense. Um, so COVID hit, weddings are knocked on yep. the head. Uh, yeah, probably corporate photography was knocked on the head a little bit. So you get into Amazon. So how did you? How did Amazon even come across your radar in the first place? Oh, geez, I was in bed like five o'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. uh, and I had popped up on YouTube. And it was originally for. Um, an old Australian-based group that's um, no longer around anymore, but their course was too expensive. So we that was 2018. We took a um, a different mm-hmm. course from a young kid. I think it was 800 bucks. Yep. Um, young US-based kid, and that was yeah late 2018. And then I think we were live by May 2019 with our first product. Goodness, so that's 12 months quick. later, that it, like it did, it was slow, um, mm-hmm. but. Like 12 months later, it had made enough profit that actually paid for then for the, we went back and did the Australian course ah. um, through the Australian company. So from the profits that we've made from that first product. So that was pretty cool to sort of get into it. But then then COVID happened and that, yeah. um, that, that was a tricky one. So it mm-hmm. halved the sales pretty much overnight um, mm-hmm. and really we were left like a, a ship in the ocean with no direction. For a good bit there, like there was 12 months there where we weren't sure whether we wanted to continue or not. But mm. um, obviously we did. You certainly did. So was that reliable yep. education that you did? Was that the big course that you're speaking yep. about? Yeah, yeah. With Adam. Yep. Yes. I think that's actually evolved now into the Ecom tribe, I think, since Adam has sort of backed yep. away from that business. And yep. I think it's now being run by Amanda and her team. I think that was her name. I need to check my facts, but uh, I can't remember. Oh, Angela. Angela, I'm sorry. Yeah, knew it began with A, and so yeah. it was almost there. Um, thank you. Yeah. So, COVID hits. What category were you selling in, or are you selling in? That you know, was uh, you in travel or something? Original categories. No, it was baby stuff, um, uh, and it was photography related. Okay. So it was something so, we knew, we understood, and we could definitely speak to the audience. Um, yeah. And like have a, an expert opinion on it. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. And still is, that- is now. We did travel with other products in between. Like um, we did, we through Reliable, we, we joined their Platinum program in the last sort of full year that they ran it. And we they had a thing called Go Live where basically just had about 100 odd days to get a product from, find something, source it, get it mm-hmm. selling. Um, we did that, but it was, <laughs> looking back now, it seems like a, a train wreck. It was a fire-based product. And yeah. to be honest, like it went okay, but like, Good luck getting insurance for that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, 
but uh, especially being an Australian company selling in the US. So we're mm. selling only in the US. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think we were looking at like 15 grand a year US and that was only for about a half a million in turnover, of projected oh turnover for that product. So like the insurance was a massive haircut. Yeah, so yeah. So that, that ended that. Like that was the end of it. We pulled it. Yep. Bloody compliance. I hate that. Yeah, it's funny. I, I um, One of my failed products, and I've had many. In fact, I think I've got yeah. one that's happening right now, but I'm too scared to look at it. But uh, one of my failed products was actually a baby rattle, which was a photography prop for, for mums, I guess, and parents. Yeah. Uh, and what yeah. it did was it clipped onto the back of a telephone and it kind of spun around. It's kind of hard to explain, or you know, without visually showing you. But um, you could kind of spin the rattle and get the baby's attention, so that the baby would be looking at the telephone. And when you took the photo, yep. it was yeah, um, it took a great shot. Uh, the problem was that there was really nobody looking for a baby rattle attachment. Yeah, to I guess <laughs> like that's a product problem. Yeah, it's more a keyword problem. It was a massive but, keyword uh, problem. Yeah, the product was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that was one of the the early failures that I had. I think that was around 2016, I think, somewhere in there. So, God, it's been a while. Oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah, I probably spoke about that once before on the podcast. I can't quite remember. But, um, yeah, it didn't. That, that category did not work for me, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, great <laughs> idea, though. Just, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, good demand. lesson. Mm. Um, okay, so you're selling in the baby category. You've got these uh, baby props and then you're doing the reliable education course. Uh, what... What sort of turned mm-hmm. things around? Was it the end of COVID or did you start adding extra products that were more COVID-friendly? I actually don't know what turned it around. No, that's not true. Okay, so through through the Platinum course, we ended up forming two masterminds and that was probably mm-hmm. like the critical step. Mm-hmm. Uh, without that, I don't think that we'd be where we are today um, in the sense that we've joined two small groups, so about five to six sort of parties in each, mm-hmm. um, based all Australian-based. Um, yeah. And both people in a similar point to where we were. So like either selling but low volume, not like not really moving yet mm. um, or very close to being selling. But mm-hmm. joining in those two groups, it's sort of, and then now like that's ultimately shuffled down to one. Um, but it was something that somebody said in there, they're like, oh, like currently it was just, it was like try a different shape. And so we basically made a third variation of the same product in a different shape. Yep. And we print, oh. What did we do? We made 400 units of it yeah. as a test order. And it, yep. we shipped it to the US. It sat in the 3PL for months. And we'd, um, we joined Endgame mm-hmm. um, in the process. So while all this product was being made, manufactured, shipped, mm-hmm. we joined Endgame. And their whole premise is all about uh, being unique. Like yeah. how can you improve something? That's right. Um, yeah, so well, mm. our product has arrived and we're like, we haven't really made it any better. It's just another one of the same sort of thing. Mm. But um, in any case, so we we, it, we left it in the 3PL for months. When yep. We were considering branding the stock. We were feeling really negative about it. We weren't even going to send it in. But then we sent it in and we thought, all right, let's use it as a PPC experiment because sure. on the first two variations, we didn't really try hard. Like none mm. of the courses really said, you've really got to push PPC yeah. Well, like you have to do something for launch. You can't just put it in and press go. No. Um, so, all right, let's give it a go. So we put it in and, geez, we must have been spending like initially 50 to to $100 a day yep. on PPC Ouch. on this third variation. Mm-hmm. And after 
four weeks, it was breaking even. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it became profitable very quickly. And then next fantastic. order for that was two and a half thousand units. Here we go. Yeah, it's, uh, so, it's, <laughs> I always yeah, tell man. clients when I'm launching products on their behalf is that, you know, and they're kind of going, wow, this is costing a lot of money. And, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing sales, but we're going, we're going at the back in terms of, you know, PPC costs. And I always say it's a yeah. bit like <laughs> my wife used to say, uh, the pain of childbirth, it's soon forgotten when things start turning around. Um, and, and then I also <laughs> often say things like, um, uh, you know, like this time next year, you would have forgotten all about this. You know, you'll be sitting pretty, you're ranking organically, yeah. you're getting a lot of sales through organic keywords. Um, just hold your nerve and we will get there together. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like the similar situation yeah. for you. Yeah, you've just got to hold your nerve sometimes, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's sort of changed our view on PPC too. Like it's not um, necessarily a waste of money. Like mm-hmm. even, and I'm, I'm a bit of a closet spreadsheet nerd but maybe not that much of a closet spreadsheet mm-hmm. nerd, just spreadsheet nerd. Mm-hmm. But uh, like tracking weekly sales, you could see it. Like it would, ACOS would do whatever, but ACOTS was really linear. Yep. So like some weeks your ACOS might be 80%, but your ACOTS was sitting at 20 or 25, like it would keep trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it, having good data so you can really get a full picture of where mm-hmm. things are at. Um, was like it was super beneficial if you if you could just switch off and like shut your browser and just look at your spreadsheet, you could get a really clear picture of what was actually what happening. Was yeah, yeah. So when you when, when you say a cots, you're do you mean tacos? Is that what yes. you mean there? Yeah. Like total total advertising cost yeah. of sales. Yeah. So it's not just your advertising cost of sales. So all of your sales yes. combined, and that's that is a really key yeah. indicator, isn't it? Um, yeah, I agree. I, I try and keep Tarkos uh, sort of around. I don't like it getting much above, you know, 10 to 12% tops. Yep. So that's really mm-hmm. what I'm aiming for when I'm managing other people's accounts. Um, tell me yep. about your advertising setup and your launch. Like how did you set up your advertising to launch this new variation? Like did you have a manual campaign or an automatic campaign? Yeah, what did you do? Oh, it was all manual and it was maybe – Oh, I don't specifically remember now, but um, it was probably about your top 35 really specific keywords with volume. And it yep. was all manual. They were grouped into smaller like sub subgroups of maybe like four keywords per campaign mm-hmm. so that they could really – and they were grouped by volume, so search volume. So the, the bigger ones grouped together just so you wouldn't put a high and a low together and the big ones would just swamp the small ones. But yeah. um, and corresponding budgets for each, but and that was very beneficial. Just to have it was a very simple structure. It was manual for the first week or two, and then adding in some automatic campaigns. Basically, like how we think about it now is with the manual campaigns, you're basically telling Amazon what your product is. Like they don't yeah. know what you are. You're just a and number, and then they're trying to work out who you are, what you are, what you do, and then as you make your sales based on the search terms, then they start to work out what you are. So like starting with automatic campaigns, they're going to show you for everything. Um, That's right. But if you start with your manual campaigns and just tell them what you are first through mm. that and start your automatic, then I think you probably get better uh, results from your automatic when you do turn them on too. I totally, totally agree with you. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a great interview with a guy called Heath Thompson who's also yep. a friend of the Endgame Network as well, right? So he yeah, exactly. it sounds like you. <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant, yeah. isn't he? 
Um, yeah, and right. and that's the thing is that a very small. I actually launch with a lot fewer keywords than thirty, but um, or thirty five, just manual exact. And the aim is to yeah. get the sales through the keywords to to start to you know get those products. Um, well, tell Amazon, like you said, tell Amazon what that product yeah. actually is. You can talk about the product all day long. Uh, mm-hmm. with your with your copy and everything else but you need to reinforce that with sales through those keywords that you're bidding on in an exact match um, manual campaign and then because yeah. what Heath says and um, I'm sure you would agree is that if you start with an automatic campaign or even a broad match campaign in some cases um, you're getting sales through keywords that you know, just random sales through random keywords that are not actually related to what the product is, and that does happen, and that yep. just confuses the crap out of Amazon's algorithm. And then all of a sudden, Amazon's thinking that you're relevant. You know, maybe you're selling baby wipes, and all of a sudden you get a sale through a water bottle keyword or something. And yeah, it's like, well, what's yeah. going on? So you confuse Amazon's algorithm, and it impacts your rankings um, down the track. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Heath, Heath is our yeah our PPC manager now. So. Mm. Yeah, it was initially his launch uh, strategy that we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. It's it's hard to get Heath to look after your PPC. He's a very he's highly in demand, and I know oh. he's very fussy. At first, he told me to go away. Yeah, and then I asked him. I said, "What do I need to do? Like yeah. before I come back, what do I need to do so that you'll say yes next time?" And uh, he's like, "Oh, look, okay, let's look at it." <laughs> And then he, like, then he took us on after that. So it was just not taking no for an answer, really. Yeah, but, I love um, that. Because yeah. he, he does a really good audit, too, of your listings, of your storefront, you know, your A+. Plus. He's, a, he's really big on the product page itself um, and making sure that that is, you know, tip-top as it can possibly be in terms of conversion rate or potential conversion rate before he'll even start doing anything on, on advertising. So uh, he likes to get that a little sense. sense, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you take you took a very sensible approach too with that new variation. You you did a small run to start with a test order, um, so you're, you're not yep. placing a big bet. And then yep. once the product proved itself, then you, uh, you went all in. And I think that's a yeah another really um, important strategy. I had a client last year. Geez, I'm talking a lot about myself and my clients. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I did have a client last year that sent in two container loads of stuff, and against my advice, and yeah, we. Yeah, it was first a, order. A, yeah, first order. It was a it was a oh, it was a wow. bit of a train wreck, the whole situation. And then they refused to discount the product really for the launch. Yeah. And I and I, I said to them, look, if you don't discount and make this product or these products really attractive to buyers to get things moving at the beginning, you are gonna be in twelve months' time when you start getting hit with long term storage fees, you are going to end up with by you know, you're gonna end up basically doing everything in reverse and that's discounting to dump the stuff and you know just fire fire sale it was an absolute dumpster fire in the end and you know it's one of those I told you so kind of things but yeah I didn't say that but um yeah it can happen so yeah it's yeah. important yeah to get to get everything right at the I beginning think, mm. I think you have to like we didn't want to take huge risk on anything but um mm. yeah like even even with a product that approved itself that it like it sold that first 400 units in the first sort of month yeah um, that it was live that test order so we're like oh yeah it's got like it's got legs it can go mm. um but yeah i still don't think i'd be ordering thousands or something to start off but that said though on the second order with two and a half thousand units it completely changed the metrics so like a, i think mm-hmm. the the price per unit was about four dollars 85 from the factory that came down to like three dollars and one cent yeah that's that's the trade-off isn't it 
Yeah. yeah. So it was very worth it. So initially on that first order, you couldn't base your cogs or your profit margins on that. Figure it had mm. to be based on the, if we're at size, what would our costs be? Yeah. What did you, what are you retailing that product for on Amazon? Um, oh, it varies from 25 to $26. Okay. So that's that's pretty good margins in all of that. That sounds like a really good sort yeah, of ratio. Just about 70, 75 odd cents for freight. So it's about like we work on a landed cost of 375 um, if there's not any extra fees along the way, if everything's yeah, yeah. smooth sailing. Well, that's a that leads me to another question, which is around Amazon's fees. I mean, we've seen mm. quite large, uh, quite serious imp- increases in fees on Amazon, you know, from storage, and then there's even a fee for not having enough inventory. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. just all sorts of new charges that Amazon is weaseling into our world how are you coping with that is it just maintaining margins or um yeah we it is eating into the margin so like initially so like say first quarter last this time last year our margin before ppc was sitting at around 47 percent gross profit so and then yeah like with anything in the baby category honestly anything under 20 percent as far as tacos goes i was happy with so yeah. it would leave us at 25 to 30% um, or net, like net of PPC uh, yep. profit margin. But yeah, like that's sort of come down. It's probably sitting at around 44 now with mm-hmm. today's current costs. But like along the way, we've done everything you can possible to optimize it. So like the product comes in a bag. It's We've had custom-made bags that are as small as they can possibly be. So it's almost to the point where it's shrink-wrapping the product to yeah. make it smaller. Yeah, um, to save on those FBA oh, fees. Per unit. Yeah, that's right. Like a thousand units a month, that's pure profit. Yeah. Like, that's worth a considerable amount. I had a client who sells these discs. They're used for swimming pools. They, they're not yeah. selling at the moment because it's the middle of winter in the US. Yeah. Uh, but we were able to save, I think it was almost $10 by, ro- I got him to roll the discs into a cylinder. Yeah. Um, rather than just sort of, flat packing them and then sending them out because they're the dimensions in both the, in all directions except for the width you know that wasn't they weren't very yeah. thick but uh yeah it's sort of it's really it's just being as creative as possible isn't it to, oh, to try and to look at every avenue and that's probably where the mastermind yeah. was handy like you look at everyone's products and like how can you possibly get more units per pallet yeah like what can you do to make it smaller like if there was a product that you could literally vacuum seal and it would halve yeah. the size of it. Is it worth it? Like, is it going to work for the customer at the other end or have any negative impact? Yeah. Like look at every yeah. avenue. So we've tried yeah. to be as lean as we can in every other department to try to avoid Amazon costs being excessive to begin with. But mm. like ultimately they're, they're a massive machine and they're just trying to control their workflow. Like you can understand it. Like they're trying to take and if they can control the shipping, it works. Everything mm. works a lot better for them. So they're trying to, not penalise us, but we're getting performance scores on stuff that you shouldn't have to have performance scores on. Well, certainly right. that you've never had before, you know, performance yeah. scores on all sorts of things. Yeah. Talk to me about the shipping though. So you're, I'm assuming you're manufacturing in China, is that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then how are you getting your goods from China into an Amazon warehouse or a 3PL in the US? Is that through, yeah. are you using AGL or a third party? No, no, no. So I did look at AGL, but um, we have a great relationship with a freight forwarder. Mm-hmm. who we've used for years, um, mm-hmm. geez, since like 20, 2020, 2019, 2020, like good good few years now. Mm-hmm. But um, And she's fantastic. Like whenever we get stuck, we mm-hmm. talk to her 
And she's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, okay, we can do this. So yeah. like, um, yeah, we like whenever the storage restrictions come in at Christmas time, when you get to Q4 and they, they want you, you need to have more stock in, but they want, they go and halve your limits, which yeah. makes it really tricky to get your yeah. stock in. Should uh, let us ship our cartons to the US and then label them when they'd hit the US warehouse before they'd get sent out to Amazon from there. Yeah. So like it would buy us time that um, like we could label our cartons four weeks later. So like that, just having that conversation with her opened up that door. Yeah, uh, for that to happen. But in general, like we're manufacturing sort of three to five orders a year um, mm. of like three to 5,000 units in a go. And then we're shipping about a third of the order each month. So oh, okay. depending on current sales volume. So the factory is warehousing that for free in China. That's oh. um, the ultimate. And then, yeah. yeah. And then goes out monthly um, so that it keeps us at a sort of a steady rate you're also not getting too much stock stateside so that if something does happen or the brakes get put on or there's a slowdown or you're not allowed yeah. to sell for a month yeah um i don't want to get stuck with five thousand units in the states where it's going to just burn through cash yeah totally you don't want stranded inventory in the u.s that's for sure because yeah uh yeah you want to be able to keep your options open that's for sure and keeping it in china is a great idea i think so yeah it sounds like you've got things ticking along really yeah. nicely mm. Do you sell you in any other market? Country if you have well, I was going to say, um, do you sell in any other countries or just the US? No, just the US at the moment. We looked at Australia, but there's not demand for the product here. Yeah, you'd, um, you'd sell twenty a month if you're lucky. Yeah, I think yep. so. No, not not in Australia, but yeah, we're we're looking into the other markets like um, probably Japan. It's probably mm-hmm. one that's a bit interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, my friend Gary Huang is um, doing another push on Amazon Japan. Um, he's got a uh, some kind of workshop or something coming up. I saw an email float across my desk the other day, well, across my inbox, so I, I might dig yeah. that out and see what, what he's up to at the moment. But, um, yeah, Amazon Japan, um, I've mentioned many times on the podcast, has not worked too well for me, but that was just, you know, I wasn't really trying. Um, but, yeah, I think it's got yeah. a lot of potential. So definitely give that a shot. And what about things like Europe? It might be maybe a bit more tricky to get into Europe, though. Uh, to be honest, I haven't personally looked at it. Um Mm. Oh, was it Faye that you were talking to on the podcast a couple of weeks ago? Was, was she talking yeah. about getting into Europe and all the different regulatory stuff that you had yep, to go through to get into and the different markets? Oh, it might have been Denise, Billsborough as well, where just it was mm. massive hurdles. Like every country's got different regulations. So if you're going to sell there, you had to meet essentially all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think... I mean, to, to get things started, it's probably the safest bet to go straight into the UK, just leap, you know, just start there as that yeah. one marketplace. And then, you know, if you're feeling a bit more confident and you've learned a bit more about how Europe's operating, then, you know, particularly country by country, then, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to exp- explore that too, but down the track. But I wouldn't go all in on all of those countries all at once. No, so, I think a massive headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious to look at more markets. I'd probably be more interested in running with the same product in multiple markets as opposed to just trying to do more products in the one yeah. market. Yeah, that's often a really good way to grow. I mean, it does add obviously a lot more complexity, but it also takes out a lot of risk. Yeah. Yeah, Denise was having issues particularly around one of her products, which uh, in the UK, and the re- what was basically happening was that she wasn't able to update some 
bullet points. And that was an important thing for her to do because uh, on one of her products, she needed to update the bullet points for that particular market based on what she sells Yeah. Um, because the information is not accurate. Anyway, long story short, what was – we think we've actually fixed it together is that she wasn't able to edit it because another brand – there was another owner of the brand – that was controlling the editing rights of the listing in the UK. Yeah, yeah. It, it turned out that the other brand, which Amazon won't tell you who they are, actually turned out to be Denise in Australia with her oh. trademark here. So what we were able to do was go into brand registry and downgrade her her administrative stra- status for the UK for that yeah. trademark down to I think it's like a reseller status, which is a much lower level. Yeah, right. It doesn't have really any contribution rights at all. Well, a lot yeah. less. And that's that's fixed it. So and I'm seeing that happen a lot. It's happened in the past to, to me before for some of my clients. I've never understood why who is this other brand owner? Who yes. are these people? It turns it's out it's not, you. Yeah. So all you got to do is go into your brand registry account and then just downgrade your administrative or rights owner role to a reseller role. And then you should be able to edit the product. Um, or you know, change the images, change the title, whatever the issue is that's sort of that you can't change, you should be yeah. able to do that. Um, We've been seeing a lot of that methods. lead contributor rights issue lately with that that AI title. So Amazon's AI title writer that's been replacing people's listing titles. Oh, and yeah. can't change it because they they become the ultimate authority on it. But uh, I've seen the like the recent that's workarounds right. for that, which uh, I think everybody should be doing absolutely. We've had it in the past where you can't update yeah, your bullets. We can't like we've had products we couldn't update the, the title or the bullets, and it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, huge issue. And these contribution rights, you know, once Amazon gets involved with changing anything, like you said, they end up being that you know they sort of trump everything, and then it's impossible yeah. to sort of overwrite what they've contributed. Because yeah. you know, a product page on Amazon is a wiki, but there are different levels of rights ownership over the you know the edits that can be made to yeah. the listings. So. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's super important. Um, for anybody that uh, wants to turn off the AI contributions that are automatically happening now, so you have to actually opt out, um, I put together a sort of a, a three screenshots uh, in a post at the Australian Seller Facebook group. So if you head over to the australianseller.com forward slash Facebook, join my group, and then you can see the, uh, the way to, to work that. To, to opt out effectively and stop Amazon from ever changing your listings. You can always opt back in later if you want to, but, you know, for the time being, I'll probably just stay right out of there. Highly recommend it, I think. Good, good. Yeah. How many products do you actually sell? Well, we had the the initial two um, variations of the original, the, that baby product that we were talking about, and then we launched the third, which is the one that worked. So we killed off the first two just to mm-hmm. go all in on the one. There are a couple of other bits and pieces that... Um, like that fire product that we're talking about that just sort of worked but didn't work but mm. economically had issues. And now we've just gone with two new variations of the same baby product. So the current variation that was selling very well was a girl version. So I've just done a unisex and a boy yep. version of those two. But <laughs> we had some uh, fantastic luck, or unluck, not non-luck, mm. on one of the variations where Amazon have taken it upon themselves to go and sticker barcodes over the top of our barcodes on maybe, I don't know, 30 or 50 odd units in, an, in one of the batches, one of the cartons that's turned up. So they've gone and stuck different barcodes on something and oh. um, people are then now buying one thing and receiving the wrong product. Yeah. So no. that's, um, that's been fun over the last few weeks. And 
the staff at Amazon, they do not expect Amazon to ever make a mistake. Like they can't believe it when you ring them and say, look, Amazon made a mistake here. Mm. They're like, no, we don't make mistakes. No, no, never, never. It never happens. Um, they, so it's, I'm assuming that, you know, you've got a girl product and a boy product and the people that are ordering boy products are getting yep. girl products and maybe exactly. vice versa. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a catastrophe. Yeah, we've worked it out. Like they've gone through, checked mm-hmm. all the stock and then pulled out the affected ones and peeled, just peeled their label off it. Yeah, and left the uh, existing one on there. Yeah. yeah. So you, so I'm assuming that you're not using manufacturer barcodes um, or you're not allow, allowed to use manufacturer barcodes and you have to oh, use Amazon. We just use our own. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, when you create a listing, just the, the one that yep. Amazon generates for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so are you allowing Amazon to to label your products when they hit the, the FBA center? Is no, not at no. all. So, so why no, do they, they do should, it? Like there should be no, like zero prep, zero labeling, absolutely yeah. nothing. They're factory labeled, so um, using our labels, yeah. That is but, extraordinary that Amazon would take it upon themselves to put oh, a label on there. It's a, a limited number, but yeah. So in the first week of launch, for the unisex design, like it was going well, going well. Like it got up to sort of five, 10 units a day. Yeah. And then immediately there was about like overnight 10 like customer reports of people receiving the wrong product. You're like, we're on holiday at the time. Like, what is going on? No. um, And then, yeah, after a couple of bin checks and they sent through some photos, you're like, oh, that's not our barcode sticker. And then they've even like in the photos, they peel the sticker off and it's showing the correct barcode for the product. Oh, my God. Like that's our barcode right there, but um, so it was good. Like in the in the sense that the only people in the world that have the information for the right barcode and that barcode are them mm, and us. Them. Yeah. So that's it. Like, there's no one else that could have it. But um, mm. yeah, so that like in in a way that made it easier for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, look, we didn't stick it on. You've stuck it over the top of ours, and yours is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There's always something new, isn't there? I've never heard of that happening before, ever. Yeah, no. So, and it's only a small number. So why yeah. would you, like, we checked in 1,500 units and it's happened to about 30 or 40. Lucky um, you. That have turned up so far. Hmm. You mentioned that you were looking to expand by moving into different marketplaces. Have you got hmm. any ideas, though, around potentially adding new products as well? Do you have any ideas for some new products? We do. Um, we hmm. do. It Like, the challenge for 23 for us was actually cash flow. So because this product took off the way that it did and you're mm. producing 2,500 unit orders, I think the next order was 4,000, next order was 5,000 after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, like that took a lot of capital and that was something that we weren't expecting. So it became a point where like we went from having like owning globally 400-odd units of stock to about 6,000 units of stock. Goodness. In, in our inventory so like um, <laughs> a lot of capital got tied up there and then yeah. it just became a, a game of cash flow to keep feeding the beast yeah, yeah. to keep oh, it alive and 100 yeah, percent. yeah not absolutely. Out of money in the meantime no absolutely stick to your knitting on that one for sure if you got yeah. something that's working you do absolutely double down park everything else drop everything just get so that yeah, there's yeah. other stuff but we'll get to it we'll get to it when we get to it yeah when the cash flow yeah happens. Starts to equalize or, or like certainly this improve. time around on the two new ace and two new variations that are live, where mm. we uh, saved up a bit so that um, from profits from the first one, so that if they did take off, we could fund them immediately and they're yep. good to go, just so we wouldn't have the same struggles that we had last year. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, keep um, 
keep on trucking there. That's great. Do you have any plans to exit your business at all? Yeah, absolutely. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think in a couple of years, I think once you've grown it to the point where you feel like we can't really do any more ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, I'd be looking to to move it on. And then, then that's probably where we'd look at the other products that we're talking about too. So we may not keep them under this current brand. We'd probably just push this one as hard as we can, just milk it. Yep. Move it, start again. Get it as profitable as possible because I'm sure there would be some other brands out there that would love to take on, you know, that that range or that line that you have. Mm. Yeah. Um, it would definitely fit into, like, a lot of baby brands. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Just thinking out loud too, like, if you – sometimes when you've got a variation – so I'm kind of stepping back here to that variation issue where you had everything being sent out, the wrong product, the unisex. Yeah. What I've done in the past when sort of issues like that have happened before is that sometimes I've actually broken that that child, that problem child out of its mm. family just by deleting the parent and then rebuilding the family but without the, the, the child, yeah. orphaning the child basically. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of pull that out so it's not not poisoning the reviews of the current family um, while you're resolving the issue of the, the problem child. Yeah. You can always we, push it do that we like we only well purely for the reason we didn't have a single negative review they're all ncx voice of the customer so like fortunately everything came through there Um, so there was no actual public facing review there which was a godsend really but as soon as that happens if if that happens it's getting kicked out of the family and then realistically (laughs) to the point i think the test order well not i think the test order size for that Mm. you was 740 odd units so like if it and we've got maybe oh, 500 or so left like i'd actually consider withdrawing all of the stock yeah i think it's completely killed the launch for that ace and I'd, I'd withdraw it all have it relabeled and send it in as, as a new SKU. like yeah, it's a completely a new idea. product yeah uh, just to give it a second shot at life I guess you could do that. I mean, if it is part of a family, though, it just sort of nestles in there and becomes an option. But yeah, yeah. sort of trying to launch it under its own keywords, you know, unisex. I put it back in as a variation again. Like mm. if we pull all the stock out, it'd go back yeah. in as, as a new variation, but just as an entirely fresh. Yeah, fresh skew. Yeah, yeah. fresh label. Yep, yep, hundred percent, definitely, yeah. definitely do that. Yeah, because the more sort of variations that you have with different keywords in each of the children products, just creates more traffic to the listing through all these different pathways, right? And people can kind yeah. of make up their own mind as to whether they want to buy the, the thing they were actually looking for or maybe, oh, they've got all these other things. Because yeah. um, you can also be using, you know, virtual bundles as well, right? So you can kind yeah. of start combining some of those things too to not only take up more real estate on your detail pages but also uh, potentially increase your average order value as well. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of virtual bundles. I think they're way underrated. Not enough people are using them and uh, where possible, you should. So there's my two yeah. cents on that. Top tip, Top tip right there. <laughs> Virtual bundles, they've been around forever, but um, yeah, they're yeah. definitely definitely well worth doing. Um, thanks, mate. That has been such a great uh, story that you've told there and I'm really grateful for your time today. No, thanks for having me. It's been uh, great to share. Have you, are you happy for people to get in touch if they wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. All right. How, we, how would we want to do that if we wanted to do that? Oh, gee, on Facebook um, mm-hmm. is probably the, the easiest way to get in touch with me. I'm often on, on Messenger there. Um, yep. And so I'm Chris and pretty unique name, Chris, and Noblock, which is yes. K-N-O-B-L-A-U-C-H. That's so, right. Yeah. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. Um, it's been a joy. 
And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see each other again soon. Thanks, Chris. Good on you, mate. See ya. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening.